0: You know, a few years ago, I came across an article entitled, What is the least I can do and still be a Christian? Since that date, I've spent a lot of hours pondering that thought. Sometimes I feel like it seemed to have defined a generation. We live in a world where everything is about, what can I get for the least amount possible? What can I do for the least amount of that what can I get? Uh, there's a show on TV called Barter Kings. Or it used to be on TV. I don't know. I watch everything every reruns. So you ever watch Barter Kings, the whole point of the show is to take something that has very little value in itself and trade it up for something major. You know, they, They'll they take something like a, a set of golf clubs and trade it up for something like a, a speedboat. I mean, they just they, they start with little ditties. Well, take a chainsaw and get a mobile home. You know, whatever it is, that's what they do. And they, they show steps along the way. They spend their days and make their money by doing that. So they take them that's worth a little bit and train up something that's worth a lot. Basically, they ask the question, how much can I get for this little bit? And this show isn't too far off from the article that I read. The question was that what is the least I can do and still have a relationship or the benefits of a relationship with Jesus. And you know, at the beginning of that article... The logic is already flawed because the relationship is defined by what you put into it and what you get out of it. Now, as I studied this week's parable, I kept coming back to that article. This parable is one of those that some of us look at and go, is that really a parable? Because Jesus doesn't say it's like a man. It's just a statement that he made. It's just out there. Um, but this parable flies in the face of the article. In John 12, Jesus has just over in chapter 11 raised Lazarus from the dead. Uh, He has been anointed by Lazarus' sister. And he's made his uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Uh, And now some Gentiles come seeking Jesus. And this makes him turn his attention to his death. And through this parable, he talks about his death. But yet there's so much more contained there in John chapter 12 uh, and verses 23 through 26. Because it says there, Jesus replied to them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. The one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. or I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's pray. Father, God, we come to you right now and we thank you We praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, you use me as the vessel of the words that I speak Be yours and yours alone. Father, thank you for loving us. So we ask all these things in the name of your son Jesus and for his sake. All God's people say. Amen. And as we come to this, there is one glaring truth that we start off with and that is that life cannot be separated from death. You can't separate life from death. We try all the time. We don't like to talk about death or think about death, but life can be separated from death. For years, my mom was sick, and, and she would ask us to tell her what, she, what we wanted. What do you want in the house? What is it that you want? You know, go through and, and, and mark it, or, or give me a note, or, or things like that. Or she would talk to us about what her wishes were and the things that needed to happen. And everyone around her, except for me, would be like, I'm not going to talk about that, Mom. You're not going to die. I don't want to talk about that, Mom. But the truth of the matter is to have life is to not be dead. You can't separate the two. Life is the antithesis of death. Death is a natural part of the occurrences of living. And many of us spend our lives trying to outrun death. But in doing so, we simply acknowledge that our life cannot be gauged apart from the death we're trying to escape. But Jesus here takes us a step further and points out another connection of life and death. Because new life is always connected to a form of death. His illustration here is the seed. He says, unless it falls to the ground, unless it dies, a seed separated from the plant, it's not living. It's not alive anymore, but yet it's not really doing anything else. It cannot become more than it is until the seed dies. Isn't that the way that all new life happens? Parents, um, think about (laughs) your life. Did not a part of your existence cease to exist when you had your first child? Something about life changed. Something about life was different. There was no more staying somewhere in a party because you wanted to, and there's no more sleeping in because you're tired. You can't sleep in with little kids. It doesn't happen. Right? Things are no more going on a trip on a whim or doing things for the moment, no more time alone. Always. A part of your existence died when new life came into your world. But it didn't happen when the life sprang forth, but when the life was planted. Your life changed nine months before Junior came out. Because you began to plant and began to know, began to do, do things that are different. You know, Carrie, when she's pregnant, she cuts everything out. There's no, there's no caffeine, there's no sugar, there's no this, there's no that. Everything changes in our lives because we know a new life is coming. Something happens. But in church life, the same thing happens. Sometimes old programs have to die out. Sometimes sometimes if you look in the Bible, old people have to die out, right? Think about Israel and the Exodus. What happens? They go and they will not follow into the promised land. And once God say? Okay, start walking. And they walk for 40 years until an entire generation dies out. You know, it's not always a bad thing that a program dies. Many independent Baptist churches watched as their funding of individual missionaries died off because they became part of the SBC. But while things about each individual were good through the cooperative program, that small church's reach became bigger. Because that small church began to pool their funds with other churches which means that they could support more missionaries. They could do more missions work. You know, another example that I find funny in church life is how caught up we get in in changes that we find ourselves in on both sides. You know, some people in, in years past, maybe today, don't want to hear new music. Some people don't want to hear old music. And all the while, we're spinning in circles. Now, there's something from this illustration we can learn. Just like the stalk of wheat that sprouts up finds its source in the seed that died, new music finds its source in the music that came before it. I mean, if you if you look at the history of music, you can, you can draw this straight line, and we see all of these things and all these things that come together. You know, I know Matt's a little younger than I am. And I heard him and Barry practicing guitar across the path, and Barry played a country song. And Matt goes, huh? he said, You don't know that? Is a little older than that is. That's all. I knew what song it was. I'm in there humming it in my office. I can hear it across the way. But there's roots in that because that song filters into other songs and other music. And so that seed is falling to the ground. Now, if you don't like new music, listen for that part of it that draws from the seed. If you only like new music, stop and ask yourself, where does this come from? Where, Where is this drawing its influence from? The change from seed to new life or new things is never instantaneous. Wheat doesn't grow overnight. I know farmers and ranchers wish it did. They wish they could plant the seed and the next morning go out there and harvest because it would be so much easier. There's no worry about hail. There's no worry about bugs. No worry about anything if it happened overnight. But it doesn't. It takes time. Babies aren't dropped off by the store. It's not overnight. It takes nine months. Or in Carrie's case, seven months or eight months. But still. Changes in congregations are sometimes hard fought. You know, you, you go through these transitions. But when we read this parable, we see that with death comes this expansion of life. A single seed creates from it many other seeds. A plant with many other seeds. You can't plant next year's crop without new seed. And new seed is only provided when other plants have been grown and other seeds are harvested. The child that comes comes with the possibility of endless generations. You know, no, nobody has a child thinking, my name will die next time. It's gone. You think, man, I'm going to have grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And people are going to know. And people are going to understand. And, and, through, and one small change in the church can radically improve its impact for the world. It, it can do things. It's little things. It doesn't have to be big. And through Jesus' death, humanity is given the right to walk in the presence of God. Through his sacrifice, new life can be made ours. We have to all decide, though, what is important to us. That's what Jesus goes on to say. The seed's great. can't separate death from life. And, 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 and death gives way to new expansion, to new life. New life gives expansion. But then he says, you have to decide what's important. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now the key here is whose life are you living? Whose life are you living? If you live your life if you, are, if you love your life, that means the here and now are the most important things to you. If you love your life, it's what can I get? What can I have my what? How much am I allowed to have? If you love your life, all you have to look forward to according to Jesus is the here and now. And if you hate your life, now, I know a lot of us read that and go, but hate my life? I can't hate my life. To hate your life doesn't mean that you're an angsty teenager. You know, we all know, about, oh, I hate my life. So, well, that's not what he's talking about. Well, know, you're know, you not going to put on black and be gothic and paint your painting. Know, that's, that's not hating your life. Hating your life isn't about that kind of attitude. It means that the life you are living now, the stuff that the world says important, isn't what you find important. It's not what you need. That's what it means to to hate your life. The treasures of this world aren't what matter. I watched a a documentary yesterday um, about wrestling. Wrestling. About the Von Erics. We all know the Von Erics in Texas, right? We know the Von Erics. And there's only one left. It's Kevin. And he now lives in Hawaii. Uh, and they went through all the tragedies that unfold with the Bon Erics and all the deaths that occurred. You know, when five of six sons pass away before Mama and Daddy, it's, it's hard. But he ended the documentary, they asked him something, and he said, the fame... The money, all the things of this world, we had it. But they don't matter. In the end, family matters. In the end, love matters. In the end, the things that that, that are important, you can't put a price on. It. That's what it means to hate your life. That these things that the world says important aren't important. They aren't what you want to hold on to. Because the life you're living isn't supposed to be your own. The Bible says you're bought with a price. You're bought with a price. You've been purchased. It's no longer your life you live. But the life that you live is Christ in you. It's not your life. But so often we act like it's our life. So often we want to hold on to things. You know, following Jesus isn't simply about following a set of rules. We want to make it that way. How much easier would that be? How much easier would it be if I had a sheet of rules and I could say all I have to do was follow these things and I know that I'm good and I know that I'm following Jesus. But that's not what it's about. Jesus says anyone who serves him must follow him. Well, where? Where must we follow him? I mean, what's he talking about in this situation? I mean, what he's talking about is what? He's going to go die right now. He's fixing the head of the cross. He's having the last few days of his life on earth. He knows what's happening next. What's happening next are the things that's going to lead to our salvation. If you serve me, you'll follow me. You'll follow me to death. It's closely connected to the words of Jesus over in Luke 9 where he says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. For whoever wants to lose his life will save it. Well, what does that even mean? What it doesn't mean is that everything is a cross to bear. If I have a pet peeve in this world, okay, maybe I have more than one, but one of my pet peeves, I get tired of everyone saying, that's just my cross to bear. Oh... It's hot outside and I have to work in it. That's just my cross to bear. My kids were acting right this morning. That's just my cross to bear. What? This doesn't mean that everything we go through, every time we have a hard time that we're bearing a cross, every time something doesn't go our way, isn't a cross to bear. What a slap in the face to Jesus. Not getting your way isn't a cross to bear. Being a little uncomfortable isn't a cross to bear. Look at the cross. Look at what happened there. And tell me if you think having to deal with a whiny person is a cross to bear. I mean, what happened there was all of God's glory being given for us, and He died in a horrendous way. Taking up your cross means that each and every day you die to yourself. Your wants, your wishes, your desires, everything in you that can be selfishly motivated. You put to death. Jesus didn't want to be on that cross. If there was any other way, he would have taken that way. Taking up our cross means that every day our will is placed under his will. It means that our desires should mean less to us than the desires of those around us. That's the key to Christian community. That's what's always me bonkers about the worship wars. If I am more worried about your needs than mine, then what is important for you has to be important for me. So if everyone in the church is living that way, and everyone is looking at everyone else's needs and wants and desires is more important than their own, we don't get offended by the little folks. <laughs> the key to Christian community is following Jesus in the death of our selfish, sinful nature. And you know, that's the funny thing about deaf people. They don't complain much. Cameron looked at me funny the other day because I had a lady this weekend, and I said, "Man, I would much rather do a funeral." And she looked at me like I was the craziest person in the world. But I said, "They don't complain. They're not as stressful." Brides have expectations. Brides want things. You're not there to comfort a bride because if a bride doesn't get her way, you're in trouble. But when people are looking for comfort, when they're looking for you to walk with them through something, it's wholly different. Because dead people don't complain. Once someone is gone from this world, they put away their selfish desires completely. They're not there anymore. When we find ourselves offended, it's because we're still living the old life. We keep resurrecting the old man. Instead of of putting him to death, we bring him back for one more dance. Now anybody who has ever watched a movie where they bring somebody back from the dead, besides, besides the Passion of the Cross or something like that, anybody who's ever done that knows how that's going to turn out. It's not going to be a good thing. It's going to be something that isn't quite right. Any, any, any movie like that, there's something that happens. But dead people, they don't complain. I'm trying to be sensitive here, but, you know, you can cuss at a dead person, they're not going to say anything about them. You can complain about them. I guess if you want to be a gossip, you can gossip about them. You can even kick them and they're not going to complain about it. If we're grumbling and complaining and we're bitter, as we're talking to the kids about, it's because we've chosen to be that way. It's because we've chosen to be offended. I'm just going to hold on to this hurt for a little while. I mean, it's, it, I, know, I know too many people, and I've been guilty of it. I was guilty of it for years of my life. I would hold my bitterness in my pocket like a lollipop. And I had so much of it, it was just poured over. You know, it would be a lollipop. i just pull it out every once in a while and say, I, just, I want to be bitter a little while longer, and I would just take a few licks and put the cover back on and put it back in. Because we like to be bitter. Because we like to resurrect the old self. That's who we're supposed to be in relation... To, you don't have to get my bitterness, man. <laughs> That's who we're supposed to be in relation to the old man. We're supposed to say, you're dead. If you're following Jesus to be with him where he is, we're putting our old self to death every morning. When he gets up, we don't even let him start up. No, nope, I buried you yesterday. You're gone. I don't need you anymore. I've got a new t- invented, sorry Charlie find somewhere else to go because I belong to Jesus and he lives here now yeah. that's who we're supposed to be, but it's scary to die to self, isn't it self is all we've ever known man I don't want to die to self you know for the, for the first few years in our marriage we struggled a bit you ever relate to that struggling <laughs> caring had this habit when we get in an argument, because her family's so quiet. Kind of. Okay. Her family doesn't argue. And so she would dig in and prepare for that. She'd put on the whole armor of whatever it is and say, This is the line. I dare you to cross it. And everything thing would become an argument. It didn't matter what it was. And, And I would have no idea how we got there. And I would ask, why do we do this this way? And it would escalate it even more. We'd spend hours locked in an argument over something as simple as how to make a grilled cheese. Do you put the butter in the pan or do you butter the bread? I don't care as long as it tastes good going in, but you know. We're going to argue over little things. And then finally, one day we had a breakthrough. I asked the right question. I said, Carrie, why do you feel the need to do this? Why do you feel the need to argue about this? Because it was it was something like the grilled cheese. It was something little. And her answer knocked me down for a minute. She said, you're such a big personality. I don't want to lose who I am oh, okay, I-, I can see that. And that's when we had the discussion. Because submitting to her meant that she lost all of her, and that everything became about me. That's That was her understanding of submission as she read it in the Bible. And I'll never forget the look on her face when I said, but these things aren't about who I am, and they're not about who you are these things are about who we are and who we are becoming. When we die to self and we allow Jesus to have reign in our life, it's not that we lose our individual nature. It's not that I'm secretly going to become somebody else. It's not that all of a sudden it's going to be like, well,. Man, I no longer exist. I'm still going to be Troy. When I read the Old and the New Testament, and I read the different different Gospels, when I read Paul's epistles, when I read Peter's epistles, I can read those things, and I can see the personality of the author in the text. Because you don't lose yourself when Jesus takes control. You don't lose who you are. It's about who you're becoming with Him. It's about the relationship. It's a scary thing to give up what you are for the sake of something bigger. But taking up your cross and dying yourself to self isn't about as much about losing who you are. It's about who you are in Jesus. The life you live is no longer your own. The presence of Christ has changed that. It's about who you are with Christ and who you're becoming through the power of the spirit And the good news is dying to self is not without reward. Because through dying to self you can help spread the kingdom. A seed that dies produces many seeds. When your selfish ways are removed, the ways of Jesus shine through. Gone are the judgments and the inconsistencies and the fears. And you replace them with grace, with love, with acceptance. When you hate your life in this world enough to die to self, you're rewarded with an eternity in the presence of God. So, what is the least you can do and be a Christian? Well, according to Jesus, die, take up your cross, and follow Him. That's it. What about you this one? Maybe this morning you're struggling. Maybe you've been struggling with this issue of, I still want what I want. We've all been there. We all struggle with that sometimes, right? I want what I want. This is what I want, and I'm going to fight for it. Maybe Jesus has been working on you, saying, "Just let that go. Don't hold on to that anymore. Don't pull out that and take another lick off of it. Throw it away. Get rid of." it. Don't hold on to the bitterness. Don't hold on to the anger. Just let it go. Because bitterness and anger, they're just a cancer. that eats you. They're not hurting the person you're mad at. They don't even know you're mad at them most of the time. Or they don't care. So let it go. Just walk from it and say, okay, I'm letting it go. I will die to self, Jesus, and I will be who you want me to be. But the Grandma always said, you'll catch more flies with honey than you will with vinegar. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to start into missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this, morning, maybe this morning you've never known Jesus. Maybe you've never taken the step, the first step to follow Him. Now would be the time to do it. We're not promised tomorrow, we're promised today, we're promised this moment. You just walk you here, Brother Troy, I want to know Jesus, and we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now, and we thank you We praise you for your blessing.